morning. Well, this is different for me and for you. My name is Ben, and I am the uh, Director of Worship Arts here at West Meadows. And uh, it's my joy to talk to you this morning about worship. Worship. And not just any worship, but scandalous worship. Scandalous worship. I'm going to be speaking on worship in the context of music this morning. And I'm going to be speaking primarily to those of you who, um, who already identify as Christians. Because the Bible passage we're going to be looking at was written um, specifically for people who were already followers of Christ. So if that's not you, um, I hope that you'll still find something meaningful in this message. And at the very least, perhaps I can shed a little bit of light on uh, why we sing what might, what might kind of appear to be karaoke in church. So worship in the context of music has been a, a hot topic for ever. Um, so this morning I'm gonna try really hard to talk about scandals without creating any new scandals. So bear with me. Um, my wife is a reporter so I'm constantly looking at and thinking about news headlines. And I thought it'd be fun if I shared with you first uh, just a few headlines that have stood out to me recently of some of my favorite scandals, I guess, of recent history. So this first one, um, it's okay if you can't read it. The headline is Speedboat Pair Steal Sweden Crown Jewels. That was August 1st, this month, this year. Uh, a couple of guys walked into a cathedral in Sweden, uh, smashed that glass case, took some jewels, ran out of the cathedral across the road, jumped in a speedboat, and uh, got away through a passage of waterways. Uh, I'm not sure if they wanted the jewels or if they just wanted to maybe be in an action movie or something, but that was a pretty fun one to read. But wait, Sweden's crown jewel heist isn't history's craziest. Just ask Colonel Blood. Colonel Blood. His whole life basically was a scandal. Um, but what this article is referring to was the time when this man called Colonel Blood, that was his actual last name, walked into the, the Tower of London and uh, knocked the, the guard that was on duty out uh, and shoved the crown jewels, the English crown jewels, into his clothing. And in some cases, for, for clothing like, for jewels like the crown, he actually like flattened the crown to fit it into his robes. And he almost got away with it. He was caught the next day but when they were questioning him, he refused to talk to anybody except for the king. So uh, they, somehow he actually got an audience with the king. It was just him and the king behind closed doors. And it, by the end of that meeting, he had a full royal pardon and he was given land. <laughs> so, so that's one of, the, one of my favorite scandals. Uh, but here in Canada, you may be more familiar perhaps with the great maple syrup heist of 2012. <laughs> and, and if you're not, then perhaps you're familiar with the great maple syrup heist of 2016. Oh, Canada. Okay. Um, Canada, that's why I love you. Um, now, we just came out of a time of singing and worship. So before I really get into the, the passage and before you get too settled into your seats, I want to ask you a question. Um, just to make sure that you understand that this isn't supposed to be an academic lecture um, that's impersonal. This is actually supposed to be very personal uh, because I'm going to be talking about you. So the question is this, where was your heart this morning while we were singing? 
while we were worshiping. Don't have to answer me, but I want you to think about that. Were you engaged in, in throne room worship, singing with the angels in awe of the majesty of God? Or were you uh, more concerned about the people around you and the types of songs we were singing? Heavenly Father, I ask that you'll come upon this place now, that you will uh, speak through me, that you will um, use me to, to speak into people's lives, and that you will um, guard my tongue and my heart, Lord, from saying anything uh, incorrect or, or harmful. In your name, I offer myself and this message. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm up here this morning because I love you guys. I really do. And I don't want you to miss out on a very important part of life as a Christian. The disciples John and Peter um, wrote very clearly about some of the same things that I'm going to be talking to you about uh, from the writings of Paul. And if you don't know those guys, that's okay. John and Peter were kind of like the lead pastors of the first churches, and Paul was uh, essentially a missionary and church planter. Uh, so before we look at Colossians 3.16, which is the passage that um, I agreed to speak on, let's take a quick look at a letter that Peter wrote, because in 2 Peter 3.16, he writes about Paul's letters saying, our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So please pay attention this is important, and there's a reason why I've themed this talk around scandals. If you uh, have your Bible with you, fantastic. If you don't, there are Bibles in front of you. Um, we're going to get started now with, Corinth with Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. On the Pew Bibles, I think it's page 955. Colossians 3:16. Here's our passage. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. All right. Let's jump straight in. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? So Colossians 3.16. Let's break it apart. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Know your Bible. Easy. Let's move on next. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, okay, uh, have mentorship and accountability. If those are foreign words to uh, live in community. Easy. Next. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirits. Oh, this is the easiest. We all know what these words mean. Psalms, obviously, that scripture set to music. Hymns, obviously, were worship songs written in the uh, I think Paul was talking about worship songs written in the 1700s, 1800s, and early 1900s. And spiritual songs, of course, well, actually, this one, this one's a little bit more controversial, songs from the Spirit. We're not quite sure if Paul was talking about uh, songs that were written by Bethel and Hillsong, or if he's referring to the old spirituals, like um, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. There's a bit of debate around that. Okay. Obviously, there's a problem with what I've just been saying. 
And that brings us to our first, the first scandal in this, uh, in this passage. And the scandal, the scandal is this. It's a scandal of perception. Our understanding of these words is steeped in cultural bias. How can we understand the passage when our understanding is steeped in cultural bias? So uh, in, in the search for an answer, maybe it would help if we look at perhaps the original language. Let's see if we can get any sort of insight from that. Um, is that big enough? Yeah, Psalms from the Greek, Psalmois or Psalmois. What does that mean? It means striking or twanging, specifically striking chords of a musical instrument. Okay, well, interesting, not what I would have thought. Uh, we do know from context that that word does often refer to the book of Psalms, not always. The word appears about seven times in the New Testament, and maybe uh, four of them, I think, refer to the book of Psalms specifically. The rest, uh, this is as much context as we have. So I guess according to this, we're, it's a good thing we've got plenty of stringed instruments on stage. Hymns. Ooh, let's see what this says. Hymn noise. A song that gives honor, praise, or thanksgiving. Great. Uh, so if we go by that Greek word that Paul uses, we could kind of call all, not kind of, we could call all the songs that we sing in church hymns. The problem is that our understanding of what that word hymns mean, or our understanding of what a hymn is, keeps changing keeps changing based on cultural perception. And it's, not, it's just not great practice to let our 21st century cultural biases manipulate our understanding of first century writings. So we have to look, or we have to ask the question then, what did the hymns in the early church sound like? And to that, um, the best we can, or I guess all I want to say right now to you is, the answer to that is that they sounded very different than what we sing in all regards. They had different instruments, different languages, different cultures, and different understandings of what musical harmony and melody entail. Uh, perhaps not the message you're wanting so far. Spiritual songs, what about this one? Two words, pneumaticos, relating to the realm of the spirit. Songs, a song, <laughs> okay. So not the most helpful definitions in terms of trying to figure out what Paul is saying when he's telling us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, quite frankly, the, uh, that's as accurate as we can get in terms of factual assertions. Anything beyond that is guesswork. We can have educated guesswork, but everything else is guesswork. Uh, now, I, I could, uh, I guess, have built a whole message around this, and perhaps that's what uh, Pastor Mark may have been expecting. But I think there's something far more important in this, uh, in this passage to touch on. Um, so I guess before we leave that, I'll say two things. One, uh, if you want to talk more about what those words mean, engage me in conversation sometime. I'd love to talk with you. The other... Um, that's all I'll say. There's something far more important here. That was just the first scandal. is a scandal of perception, and uh, what's coming up is far, far more important. So if you want to talk about 
different types of songs. Uh, come have a conversation with me. What about the next section? Now this, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Surface level, kind of know what that means. But when I was reading this, this is where I got to and uh, before I really had to stop and ask myself the question, gratitude for what? We don't know. We don't know what Paul's saying yet. Gratitude for the message of Christ? Gratitude for uh, the opportunity to teach and hold each other accountable? Gratitude for the wisdom to do such things? Gratitude for the types of songs that we sing? Gratitude for the ability to sing those songs? Uh, we don't have, I guess, enough information here in this, in this verse. So that brings me, uh, brings us, I think, to the biggest scandal here. And... Uh, to find out the answer to this question, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we sing with gratitude in our hearts to God? Isn't it just enough to sing? Why does it matter that we sing with gratitude? We need to ask questions and broaden the context because curiosity is welcomed and encouraged. And uh, just as the first scandal is a scandal of perception, so is, uh, so is this next one. So before uh, we dig into it, I wanted to, I guess, set the... Uh, the tone for uh, getting us all on the same page about what I'm talking about in terms of perception. So you might have seen these pictures before. Is that a duck or a rabbit? Duck one way, rabbit the other. You might have seen this one. Is it a young lady or is it an old lady? Maybe you haven't seen this one, but I thought it was cute. Is it a horse or a seal? Can you see it? Can you see the horse as well? Okay, the picture doesn't change. The way that we approach it changes. Our perspective shapes our understanding. Our perspective shapes our understanding. So we're gonna broaden the context here, but keep that in mind. Uh, we're gonna look at um, a little bit more of the surrounding uh, context to verse 16. We're gonna look at all of chapter three we're going to look at a, a couple of different ways. So we'll approach it uh, first in one way, and then we'll go back and re-examine it from another perspective. So Colossians chapter 3. If you have your scripture open or your Bible open, good, because I'm not going to read word for word the entire chapter. I'm especially not going to read it word for word twice. So make sure you have it in front of you. I'm going to be summarizing it in my own words, so you'll want to probably hold me accountable, make sure that the way that I've summarized it is accurate. Verses one to four, Paul is saying, set your hearts and minds on things above. Verses five to seven, don't give in to what your body wants, and there's a list of ways that you might give in, because you'll bring about the wrath of God. Verses eight to 10, don't get angry or, don't, or swear or gossip or lie. There's another list there. Verse 11, well, at least we're all in the same boat. Verse 12 to 13, be a really good person who is nice to everyone. Verse 14, nothing else matters, though, as long as we have love. Verses 15 to 16, find inner peace, know the Bible, teach others, scold others, sing songs in church, and thank God for all of it. So, uh, That's not, uh, I don't think that's a, 
wrong summarization uh, in terms of just the content. But if we're sitting down at home, we open our Bible, we're reading through this passage. Unfortunately, this is how many of us might approach a section like this. We look at it, and in fact, I'm looking at an old version of of a translation, uh, which gives a little helpful header, just pointing out that these are rules for holy living. And that's what our eye drifts to. It drifts to to, uh, the things that we have to do, the actionable things that we are called upon to do. We see, we read through this, and the tendency might be to get stuck on these lists of things that we're not supposed to do, things that we are supposed to do. And that's not just an unhealthy perspective, it's dangerously unhealthy. It's, I think it's a scandalously wrong perspective to take uh, because it's disheartening, it's impersonal, and it's insulting to God, frankly. It's insulting to God because the great scandal of this chapter is that far too many of us see the word Christ, but we don't see the person Christ. Our perspective is the scandal. Our perspective is the scandal. Without the person Christ, who is Jesus, we might as well limit ourselves to the book of Ecclesiastes because everything would be meaningless. Without Jesus, Colossians 3, it really does read like a long list of things we need to do or not do to be Christians. Without Jesus, the burdens of this world suddenly hold a lot more weight than they should. And when our focus is not on Jesus, who is the light of the world, our perspective is severely dimmed. When our focus is not on Jesus, sooner or later something else is going to take his place. We start to think that Christianity is a lifestyle. The problem with lifestyles is that they change with circumstance. They change with experience. They change with knowledge. Christianity is not a lifestyle. It's a relationship. Christianity is not a lifestyle. It's a relationship. A lifestyle is usually a means to an end. We want to be healthier or happier or more secure, or have more friends. And when that end isn't being met, we can easily discard the lifestyle and try something new. Our relationship with Christ, however, is where we find our identity. It's the core of who we are. And our identity is not dependent on what others think or do. It's dependent on our own connection with God. How many of us know someone who threw out their faith when they threw out their church or their pastor or their spouse? How many of us know someone who made their faith dependent on another human being? How many of us know someone who formed their Christian identity around a lifestyle of God instead of a relationship with God? 
I know far too many people like that. I know far too many people who are not only no longer attending church, but they don't call themselves a Christian, and it's because they were offended by something. Christianity is not a lifestyle that we can discard. It's a relationship. But how can we be sure that this isn't the right perspective and that Colossians isn't simply a list of things, a list of rules for us to follow? Remember that first slide. The picture doesn't change. The way we approach it changes. Our perspective shapes our understanding. So what shapes our perspective? Our context shapes our perspective. Our mood, our circumstances, our culture, or our ignorance, they all shape our perspective. Now, the most powerful, the most impacting, and the most scandalous writing in all of history is arguably the Book of Romans, which is another letter from Paul and which is a mountainous text that finds its pinnacle in chapters 7 and 8. Now, when you climb that peak and look at the world from the vantage point of those chapters, you will never look at the world the same way again. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When the church at Colossae received Paul's letter, I think it's safe for us to believe that they would have read it from the start to the finish and not by jumping into the middle like we did today. Unfortunately, we get so used to reading the Bible in bite-sized portions that our perspective gets limited by the size of the window that we've given ourselves to look through. Our perspective gets limited by the size of the window that we've given ourselves to look through. So let's make the window even bigger before we take another look at chapter 3. Now, I said I wasn't going to read word for word chapter 3. I'm definitely not going to read word for word the whole of Colossians. So again, another reminder, make sure you've got your Bible in front of you because I'm going to race through it here. Colossians, a bigger window. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul knows his readership. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Chapters 1, verses 3 to 11. They are encouraged in their love and their spiritual growth. Paul welcomes them warmly and speaks plainly, encouraging them. Verses 12 to 14, he urges them to joyfully give thanks because of who they are in relation to God. And remember, we went on this journey originally because we were asking ourselves the question, why does it matter that we sing with gratitude when we sing? What are we even grateful for? Spoiler alert. Remember that. Verses 15 to 19, then he directs their attention to who the Son of God is. 20 to 27, he explains the significance of what Jesus did for them. 28 to 29, Paul makes an example of himself. Two whole chapters before we read in Colossians 3:16 that we are to proclaim God, that we are to teach each other, that we are to hold each other accountable, Paul states that he himself does this. Chapter 2, 
Now, Colossians chapter 2. Before Paul gives us the list of rules that we, live in, that we read in chapter 3, he devotes an entire chapter to the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and how we are no longer slaves to the law. That's what I just said. So, knowing what we now know about chapter 2, and having received a spoiler in chapter 1 that potentially answers our question of why does it matter that we sing with gratitude in our hearts to God, let's re-examine chapter 3 from the identity perspective. Here's our list. Oh, such a heavy, I feel, I feel so depressed just looking at that list. It was just heavy. So let's reread the chapter from a perspective of who we are in Christ. Verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Verses 5 to 7. You are no longer bound by the things that you used to do. Verses 8 to 10. You are being renewed in the image of God. Verse 11, your circumstances no longer dictate your identity. Verse 12, 13, you are chosen. You are chosen and you are dearly loved. We didn't just luck out. God, uh, God made us uh, fearfully and wonderfully. He sings over us. He, he chose us. He went out of his way to be with us. You are chosen and dearly loved. Verse 14, love enables holy living. Verse 15 to 16, you are now a member of God's family. Verse 17, your identity is now found in the name of Jesus. So how does that affect the way that we worship? given a different perspective here. What is identity-driven worship? Identity-driven worship is worshiping God for who he is from a perspective of who we are in relation to him. Now, that's different. It may, may seem subtle, but it is different than simply singing songs about God for God. Revelations, um, just to give you a heads up, I'm nearing the end here, and we're pretty early, so I don't want to give you too early of a lunch. <laughs> so I am going to go a little off script. Revelations chapter, I think it was 5, verse 13. Identity-driven worship is worshiping God for who he is from a perspective of who we are in relation to him. Now, God will be worshiped one way or the other. Jesus himself told us that if we don't sing out, if we don't worship, the rocks themselves will cry out in praise of God. Now, we read, like, I found half a dozen references. There are probably more than that. Here in uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, I think is one that says it, perhaps best. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and on the sea and all that is in the sea, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Everyone is going to worship God. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, in the sea. Every creature is going to worship God. So what's the difference in how we worship? Gratitude that comes from a perspective of who we are in relation to him. That's the difference. Now, we have a clear picture that even those fallen angels, those demons who speak with God face to face and know him intimately, they'll bow to the sovereignty of God, but they certainly won't be worshiping him with gratitude in their hearts. That's how we worship differently. But to worship with gratitude requires an understanding of what Jesus did when he conquered sin. Any time that we sing in any song, in any style of music, out of a desire to worship God, we should be singing from a perspective that recognizes that we are children of God. We are grateful to be children of God, and we want to tell the community around us in a language that they understand that they have also been given an invitation to live as children of God. So we're going to sing a song to close the service nice and early for you today. So I invite you to actually please stand at this point. The worship team's gonna join me on stage. We're going to sing this question in a moment. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Now what's your answer going to be? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? The question isn't what you've done. The question is who are you? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? The question isn't what other Christians have done. The question is, who are you? The question, who am I that the highest king would welcome me, isn't about what you or anybody else has or hasn't done. The question is, who are you? That's the only question that matters because our gratitude comes from an understanding of who we are in relation to God. The scandal is that we so often don't see this. We don't sing to God because we're not, uh, we don't sing to God with gratitude in our hearts because we're not thinking about who he is in relation to us. We're just, I don't know what you're thinking. I'm not even going to assume. God will be worshipped one way or the other. To worship with gratitude requires an understanding of what Jesus did when he conquered sin. We worship with gratitude in our hearts because of who we are in relation to him. That we can call ourselves sons and daughters of the most high God who created the entire universe and who is king above all rulers and above all authorities in this realm and the next. That is a far greater scandal than any other in the entirety of history. So let's turn our hearts and our voices to God now as we sing a song that celebrates who we are in Christ. <laughs>